So we're winding down Ephesians. If you've been with us, we've been walking through this letter trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And we decided to take the first 10 weeks of this decade and to remind ourselves of who we are. There happen to be 10 things that are true of you according to God. He's the authority here. God says these things are absolutely true of you. So we're looking at one each week. They happen to be found in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. And we're almost done with the letter. And we've looked at eight things so far. This has been so fun to preach. And I've gotten so much positive feedback. I, I think that you're gaining things. And so thanks for passing those along. And it's also been one of the most challenging things because the challenge of hearing something true is sometimes you feel like you live short of it, don't you, right? This is true of you. You're like, oh, I feel like there's gaps in my own following Jesus. I'm not alone. We all do. But that's the beauty of growth. There's grace for you. There's mercy for you. God's love is for you. And so as you hear these true things, and find yourself inconsistent, just know that's the normal human experience. And if you'll allow God to be God in your life, he'll get you through. Okay, so these aren't works. These aren't, hey, these are 10 things you're supposed to do. No, these are 10 things that are true that ought to change the way we see ourselves, God, and, and the world. All right, we've looked at eight. We're going to look at the ninth. And to do that, let's just go to Ephesians. We'll go to chapter 6. And we'll read verses 10 through 17, and we'll look at one thing this morning. It says, finally, to get almost done with the letter, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, so this is what we've read and you heard this phrase repeated multiple times, armor of God. I don't know where you are in the faith spectrum here in the faith journey, but if you didn't grow up going to church, it's just weird. Can we just call it that? Hey, you know, hey, buddy, have you put your armor on? You know, the armor of God. Like, what in the world does that mean? Are we supposed to be soldiers? Is the Christian faith militant? What, what is the armor of God? Well, I grew up as a kid going to church, and this is pre-technology, pre-internet. I know that, that was a thing. And we had the flannel graph, right? I don't know if you remember, that. if any of you were acquainted with the flannel graph. It was pre-technology, no slides. It was flannel. It was like felt. And, and what they did, well, <laughs> well, I'll just go there. So we got the flannel graph, right? And yes. And so, now this is wrong in that this isn't the right scene, but this is what someone gave me. So you just took the, took the guy and you told the story by putting the guy in the air, 
right? The flannel, the flannel graph. I just thought I would edify you. Now some of you will not be able to focus on anything else. Well, well, so you had this, I had this picture. I don't know what your picture of the armor of God is. I'll, I'll give you mine. This is, this is a flannel graph, a real deal. This is, this is the guy. So you have the guy, and then, then you, you put on the helmet, and you, you put over, and then the flaming arrows and all of that. All right, please get rid of that slide. All right, the first question in your community group study guide is what did the armor of God look like in your mind when you first heard about it? So feel free to share some stories, whether funny or like honest or confusing or whatever. Talk about, because lots of Bible phrases we hear and we think we know what it means until we realize we actually didn't know what it means or how significant it might be. So, so do that. Here's the one line I think we get from this entire passage that's absolutely true of you. Write it down. We are empowered. We're empowered. I like that word. It's, it's kind of a cliche business term. It's kind of come and gone about empowering your employees or empowered to make decisions. Well, when it comes to following Jesus, it's a very, a very serious, sobering, and encouraging word. We are empowered. Now, what are we empowered to do? We'll look at that, but verse 10, again, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice, in his mighty power. For us to say we're empowered implies that we belong to Jesus. See, Jesus is the one who supplies all that we need. Jesus is power and he can work through us in power. So we could say fully, we are empowered in Jesus. And that would be equally true. The Lord has done it in his death and resurrection. And is, it is finished and then rising again and ascending and alive and ruling the universe right now. There is nothing above God's power in Jesus. And, and maybe if you don't belong to him, that's like, okay, so what? But when you realize you're his son and you're his daughter, and the universe ruler really says, we're connected at the deepest level. Therefore, when you face life's obstacles, you are not alone. I have, I am power. It will change your perspective. At least I hope it does. Now, one key reminder when we think of the armor of God. The, the picture, the flannel graph, is one guy with his armor. It's actually not the picture, though. It's a side note, but important. It's not the graphic in Ephesians 6. The graphic is of the one body putting on the armor. Every bit of it is in the plural. None of it is in the singular. In other words, what Paul says is to the church, be armored. Now, it implies you ought to think about these things for yourself. But this is less this morning about you manning up, womaning up, Christianing up, you standing strong. It's more about us being there one for another so that no one fails. It is about us applying the truth of God to all of our lives. That's why this is part one. Part two is when we meet outside of Sunday because this is a body metaphor and a body message to a body life. Okay, so what, what's this about? What are we empowered for? Look again at verse 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why? Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers, authorities, 
powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, that is a mouthful. There are schemes. I just want you to hear me. There are schemes right now going on. Some that you're aware of, some that you're not aware of, some that you're being affected by, some that is down the road and you don't even know it's coming. You just think of the whole coronavirus story right now. And it is a picture. Now, this is a real thing, but it is a picture of how quickly the landscape can change. It can change in a moment. And while you feel safe now, you can feel unsafe in Lake Oswego on Friday. And so just know that there are things happening and things that will happen, schemes. Now, what Paul reminds them is the source of the schemes is varied. He says the devil's schemes, but then notice what he says, rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces of evil. So it's not one, there's a whole laundry list of titles, and that for some of us is confusing, especially, especially if you're prone just to logic and trying to answer every one of life's questions. And if you find that until you can neatly answer every question, life doesn't make sense, then this is going to really mess with you. But it just happens to be true. There are forces, powers, there are things at work that you don't know about and that are impacting real planet Earth and your life and you, you're not privy to it. And that's disheartening for some of us because we want to be in control. But the reality of it is that's not the kind of world that God has painted that we're living in. You were living in a place with powers. So there are strategies that are seen, schemes that are seen, schemes that are unseen. Now, I wanted to delve into this, but actually one of my mentors, Gary Brashears, uh, who's a professor of theology at Western Seminary. It's where I graduated, and he's just an amazing, godly man and really smart. He's going to be here two weeks from now, so mark your calendar, two weeks from today, because I asked him to go deeper into spiritual powers and what this means and how we can live as Jesus' people uh, in a world that is filled with good, but also with evil and with the demonic and with the things that some of us want to throw away and say, hey, they don't exist, they don't exist, they don't exist. You know, we live in denial. Or those of us on the other spectrum are like, ooh, that shifted, that's a demon. You know, like there's, there's extremes on both ends. But there, there can be a way to live biblically and maturely. And so Gary's going to come and he's going to share a whole message on, on that two weeks from now kind of as a bonus. So I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume you and I are on the same page that there are powers, and I'll work on that. Here's the point, an important quote. Maybe take a photo or write it down. It is not our job to figure out whether an issue or situation comes from the devil, comes from evil powers, or if this is simply God working to build our character. Most of the time, we won't fully know the source. We won't. What's important in the metaphor of armor is the idea of being prepared for whatever comes our way. Temptations, trials, evil, demons, and more. Quote yours truly. I've always wanted to quote myself. <laughs> so that's my quote. Where else can you see it published? My notes. Uh, so there, there's this, you know, yours truly. All right. The reality is we're living in a battle. That's the vivid imagery Chains, that we heard of this morning, is vivid imagery. Now, there's no physical chain holding you, but there are real mental chains. There are emotional chains. There are historic chains. 
that are keeping you from being everything God's called you to be. And what I want to remind you of this morning is that you don't have to be afraid of the battle because we belong to God. Notice the picture here is he's been saying all throughout Ephesians, you are included in Christ. You're seated in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 1, in Christ Jesus. You belong to him. So there is a battle raging, but we have to remind ourselves. There is God, the author of all things, the creator of all things, above all things. He is the victor, and I belong to him, and you belong to him, if you have expressed trust and allegiance to Jesus. If you do not receive the gift of grace Remember, it's not by works that you've been saved. It's by God's grace through faith so that you can't boast about it. This is the gift of God to everyone who believes in Jesus. When, when you take that journey and step and say, I belong to him, then you are included on God's side, the victorious side. But that doesn't mean that there isn't still a battle. There are real enemies. There's the devil, there's spiritual forces in evil places. And then he doesn't list here, but he lists in other places, the internal enemies. Do you know I can be my greatest enemy? My head can be my greatest enemy. My background can be my greatest enemy. My temptations, my proclivity to do whatever I feel I want to do. All of us have external enemies and internal enemies but I want you to write this down because Jesus is the victor. Write this down. Battles can shake your faith, but they don't have to break your faith. And that's the metaphor of the armor of God. Battles can shake, but don't have to break our faith. They don't have to be the end of the story. So here's what he does. He's going to give a vivid imagery to tie to three commands. I want to remind you of the three commands. If you're reading this, uh, there are three. Be strong, put on the armor, stand firm. Be strong, put on the armor, stand firm. Why don't you just say it with me? Be strong, put on the armor, stand firm. Okay, now you got it one more time. Be strong, put on the armor, stand firm. That's what he's calling the church to do. It's the how that the, the, the imagery, the metaphor of, the, of an armor of God starts to make sense. What is the armor? It's a, it is a metaphor. It's a picture. So what Paul does is he combines something. In Isaiah, we don't have time this morning. In Isaiah, multiple times, God is said to have armor. God has righteousness. God has a belt of truth. God is the one who is described as strong and mighty in battle. So, so Paul's just reading the Bible in light of Jesus, and he says, okay. But he's also physically chained to a Roman guard because at this point he's a prisoner. So what he does is he's like, God is strong, and we're in battles, but we're with God. But he's also physically chained to his arrested mate here who's making sure that he is a prisoner is obedient, so he's thinking of the Roman soldier, and he's like, okay, he's in battle, we're in battle, and he throws together this visual that is so helpful. But, hear me, because it's a metaphor, we're not going to emphasize symbolism, rather we're going to emphasize reality. In other words, if Paul had simply said, church, put on truth, he'd be saying the same thing. Belt of truth and truth belt of should just help paint a picture. 
But if he just said, put on truth, put on righteousness, live ready, have faith in Jesus, take hold of salvation and share the gospel. If he would have said those things, he would be saying the same thing as helmet, breastplate, feet. So, so don't get overly, and there are lots of studies out there that emphasize, well, you know, because salvation is like a helmet, so it covers our head and covers our mind. That may be true, but I don't know if that's what Paul's thinking. Just like, it doesn't, salvation covers your heart too. And by the way, salvation will cover your feet. Okay, so, so the, the metaphor is there to help, but it, it's not like the, the secret strand to truth only applies to, to my belt. You know, that, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, put it on, put it on, put it on. Now, a couple of things because we want to look at this, but we're going to actually do it quite quickly. If I'm in battle, because I am, how do I live in a way that's going to help me stand? Be strong, put on the armor, stand firm. Well, here, here's some helpful thoughts straight from the text. Well, first one, write it down. God's truth helps us stand. So to put on the belt of truth means that we're strengthened by the truth of God. Now, in your groups or at home, if you're not in a group, just get together with someone and talk about it. What does it look like in the battles you're facing right now to know what God has to say about it? And then the second part is even more important. How do I live in light of what God has said about it? So to put on truth, as a church, to put on truth as a people means that we are actively seeking to know what God has to say. Until you know what God has said, you don't know what you're going through. Until you've come to grips. Well, my doctor said, and my boss said, and my wife said, again and again and again, and my kids say, and my neighbor said, absolutely could be factual, but the truth of your situation because you belong to Jesus, ought to be, what does God say about me, that, and my future? Now, we could spend all day applying that out, but I'm going to ask you to do that. God's truth helps us stand. We're strengthened by it, but we also are protected and we stand when we live by it. So hear me, the dangerous act of looking to what God says about it is implying if what God says about it is right, I will live in that way. So it's one thing for God to say, love your neighbor like yourself. That's true. So when my neighbor comes against me, not my physical neighbor, but you know the person who's not related to me comes against me and seems to be opposing me, how am I to respond to them? The truth is I love them as I love me in light of Jesus. So to, to be protected and to stand firm means I know what God said, but then it also implies I'm going to choose to act in a loving way. Do you got that? So we're surrounded and, and, and strengthened by God's truth. So do you, do you live empowered by this? Does truth, uh, is, are you letting truth get to the core of who you are and the way you think? Everything else is held together by God's truth. All right, the second thing, God's righteousness helps us to stand. So to put on this quote-unquote breastplate, this, this righteousness, means that we remember our new identity in Jesus. We remember who we are. And it goes two ways. Similarly to truth, 
to walk and stand by God's righteousness is to remind myself my behavior will not always live up to who I am. So I'm going to choose to look at my life not only by my behavior. I am righteous in God's sight. So when I'm confronted by any situation, I can't be looking at a test score and saying, well, last week I would have done better because my behavior was better, but now that my behavior seemed to slip a little bit, I don't know if God is for me. Hear me, God is for you. As I said a couple of weeks ago, why? Because when God sees you, he sees himself. He gave you his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come, what's to come? Life with God forever. When God sees you, he sees himself. Jesus came to seek and rescue those that are lost. When you're a child of God, what does it mean? You're a child of God. So you are righteous. Wow. What if we went into life's troubles with that kind of mindset? Rather than walking in already defeated saying, God, I think I may still be your kid, but when I look at my track record, maybe I'm a second distant third, fourth cousin. Because I'm like sliding. And what if we looked at it from the perspective of God and says, wait a minute, I paid a lot for you. You were very costly to God. His very son. His very self. So you are righteous. That's one, one thing that's going to help us to stand. But another dimension of the same thing. To be righteous implies we want to live right. So one goes with the other. What's going to keep us standing is remembering, I am a child of God, therefore I'm loved by God. Now I should want to live more like a child of God. And, and are we reminding each other who we are? And this is why being connected deeply to other Jesus followers is so important. And it's why the metaphor goes to the whole church, not to the individual. Church in Ephesus, be armored, be ready for whatever God has, for whatever God allows, for whatever the enemy brings. Stand ready, remind each other. Sometimes I need to be reminded who I am in Jesus. Sometimes you're gonna need a reminder. That's why we need each other. When we forget who we are, the enemy will have his way. When you forget who you are, and you, you judge yourself based on your performance, you're going to forget that Ephesians 2 is, is, is right. It was grace that saved you anyway. When did our performance qualify us for the kingdom of God? It didn't at the beginning. So why am I counting on my performance to qualify me now? I am a child of God. I can live as a child of God. And guess what? There is grace to grow me as a child of God. I will not stand down. So what would happen if we approach life? I hope you already have a little bit of confidence. Like, man, I am somebody. Yes, you are. And it's not a pep talk. If you belong to Jesus, you are someone. God's imprint is on your life. His love is all over you. Are we choosing to live that way? Well, that's, that, that's the part that will help you stand or cause you to crumble. That's why we need each other. All right, third thing. God's peace helps us stand. Notice, says, he talks about these putting on of these shoes, right? To, to put your feet with the shoes of the gospel of peace means that we're ready to live in and share this gospel, the message that gives 
peace with God. So part of my life that's going to help me to stand is reminding myself is that the good news of Jesus isn't just for the day I'm declared right. So the moment I trust in Jesus, I become a child of God. In God's sight, he says, you are mine, I am yours, forgiven, free. But living with feet ready for the gospel of peace means that this peace with God I now have is something I live into. I'm not just, I'm not just counting on the moment I was rescued. No, this good news informs every bit of my life. Every bit of my life is informed by this good news of Jesus' love and rescue and freedom and future. It doesn't impact just my Sunday life. It impacts my Monday life. And this news is so life-changing that I want it to totally saturate the way I think and feel, and I want it to saturate my love towards other people. I want to be ready. It is very hard to share good news with someone if you're not living it. What's the biggest barrier to us sharing the gospel is, number one, we actually don't believe it changes anybody. If I believed, if I believed it changed lives, I would do something about it. If you had the antidote to corona right now, would you keep it in your back pocket? You would not. If you could stop the spread, you would announce it. You would share it. You would fund it. You would get it out there. Part of the reason we don't share the gospel is we don't believe it. Now, that's not being judgmental. That's just a reality check. So to live life where we stand and don't crumble means we let the good news always saturate our thinking and always work itself out in my life. And we talk about it and we live with a view to letting other people in on the greatest secret, which is no secret, Jesus rescues I will say something that may be an overstatement, but work with me. We're working with metaphors here. The people I find that are usually most able to stand in their faith are often others-focused. Think about the people you know who are really mature in the faith. Often, they are living their lives for something greater. Often, they're, you know, when I think of my heroes right now of the faith, they are totally committed to God, his gospel, his good news, the world. They want to love people. They want to share. They're willing to sacrifice. They want to give. And if you will give your life over to the work of Jesus, guess what? You'll be able to stand because you'll be ready. You realize this peace with God will stand you through the storm. Why could Paul survive so many beatdowns, multiple shipwrecks, stoned and left for dead, beaten on his back, kicked out of town, maligned, talked about, lied about. Why does he keep getting up and preaching the good news? Because it so impacted his soul. He realized this is so good, I'm gonna give my life towards it. And while everyone else seems to be crumbling, Paul's standing strong. So could it be that part of the reason that we feel a lack of strength is our attention is so inward now, I'm not saying that you don't matter, and I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to deal with us. He does. He wants to break the chains that are shackling us. But part of the way he does that is getting our eyes off of us and getting them onto him and his world. And what if we live for Jesus? We would probably get so caught up in loving others, we may not realize we're under attack. We may forget that we don't have enough resources because we just assume God's with us. 
And so this is a way of living. God's peace will help us stand. All right, the next one, faith in Jesus helps us stand. To take the shield of faith means that we trust God's promises and we trust God's power. I love it that it's not, it's not like my shield. I'm, 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 I'm taking up faith. What does it mean to take up faith? It's not faith in myself or our church or this movement. It's faith in Jesus. And, and it's faith in Jesus that gives us the ability to take flaming arrows thrown at us or shot at us, whatever the metaphor is. Dangerous things are coming into your mind every day. Did you know that? Dangerous things are coming into your mind. Polluting the way you see yourself, the people you love, the way you see God, the way you see the world. There are all sorts of ideas, these flaming arrows that are attacking us. And when I truly and consistently say, Jesus, I'm putting my hope in you, it calms down the flames. Truth wins over a lie every time. So what are you going to hold on to? Are you, are you going to hold on to a lie? Are you going to embrace a lie? Are you going to feed a lie? Or are you going to feed faith in Jesus as he's my power and whatever he says is true about me? Now, now this, at this point, this seems idealistic. I get that. But this is an exercise in, in mental activity that will be helpful for us whenever we are dwelling on something that is not from God, it's not gonna lead to godly results. So what can I do? I can't stop attacks because nowhere here does Paul say is God, God's gonna keep you from flaming arrows. Now that he talks about the devil and he talks about spiritual powers and principalities and all sorts of things we don't even know he doesn't say we're not going to have those times of turbulent attack. What he does say is those attacks don't have to be destructive. It does not have to destroy your life. It can hurt. It can shake your faith. It doesn't have to break it. And it's the fundamental trust in Jesus. By the way, we never get past it. It's not like faith in Jesus starts you, but then you build something. No, it's faith in Jesus and then the next brick is faith in Jesus. And then the next brick is faith in Jesus. And it is humble, childlike trust in Jesus. So as we mature and we know more, the temptation's gonna be to trust in our ability more. Isn't that true? When like, you're a kid, you just assume the universe worked well. Right? Why? Because you had food and toys. And the more education you get, the more nervous you get, about everything around you. So knowledge alone isn't going to save us. Faith in Jesus and trust in his goodness. He's good even when life isn't good. He's faithful even when it seems like things are falling apart. He's loving even though we're in a spot where it's just hard to make it another day. When we don't lose sight that Jesus is for us, that's going to protect us. All right. Next one, God's salvation is going to help us stand. It helps us stand. Putting on the helmet of salvation is about remembering that you are saved now. You're, you're saved now, not just like in the future. So Paul can use multiple tenses about being saved all the time, and it's not a contradiction. You have been saved. He talks about us being saved in the past, the moment you believed. Yeah, you have been saved. 
He talks about the reality of us being saved. We are saved now. So I am safe in God's hands, even though I seem to be on a treacherous road called life. No matter how dangerous your world is right now or how quickly it could fall, guess what? You actually can't fall if you belong to Jesus because he is safe and he has saved you now. And we know Paul often talks about the future. When Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and the world is made new, we are going to be safe, 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 safe. And we will be with him forever principalities, powers, evil, defeated fully in a world made new. We're going to walk with God for eternity. Now, the future is exciting. I get that. But here's, I think, what we need to remember and it's going to help us to stand is you are saved now, not just in the future. So you can trust in Jesus' goodness to hold you through because he loves you now. So you're alive with Christ. You belong to him. All these promises are true. All right, next one. God's word helps us stand. God's word. Now, by the word of God, he's not talking about the Bible here. So oftentimes we look at, you know, we hear the word of God and we immediately think Bible, though he's implying the Bible. Specifically, though, he's talking about uh, God's word is this good news. It's the, the message of the Bible of God's love in sending his son Jesus because the reality and the evil of sin needs to be dealt with, and Jesus perfectly deals with sin. And he dies and rises again to pay our sin in full and to bring us back and reconnect us to the life of God and so that we can enjoy family living with God now and family living with God in the future. And so when he says, you know, God's word, he's talking about embracing the message, embracing the gospel, which of course includes all of the Bible, but it's much more Specific. All right, those are the pieces, and we went through them fast because all of these are dimensions of standing. What's the goal? What is the armor for? Let me put it up again. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand. So we're growing in closeness to Jesus together because the army and the armor metaphor is plural. We belong to Jesus, therefore, part of my growth and maturity comes from standing with you as you're maturing in Jesus and you standing with me as I'm maturing in Jesus, and together we're able to remind ourselves of truth. We're, we're able to remind ourselves that we are righteous and we can live righteous. We remember that we have peace with God now, and this peace message, the reason we're here now is to be peace ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal, he says to the Corinthian church, through us, you have a message. You are a minister. You're an advocate. You're an ambassador. All of us together. And if we'll get our minds on the mission of Jesus, it will help us realize, yeah, the, the road is bumpy, but God is doing God's stuff. But standing implies we may not stand. So hear me. Everything I just said, is real and true and possible, but not automatic. Not, he has to remind the church, be careful. Finally, brothers and sisters, don't forget. It's possible to not stand. One of the saddest things about Paul's letters, in most of them, he has to include, oh, and 
don't forget about so-and-so. I had to cut them off because they've abandoned the faith. Oh, and, and don't forget about them. Watch out for those false teachers. He has to almost warn his brothers and sisters that not everyone in the church is thriving and standing. Some go off. It's not automatic. We're empowered by God, but we need to remain. We need to walk in his power. It's, don't just think that because you belong to Jesus, you can now get on the conveyor belt of growth where you stand and do nothing and you expect God to get you there quicker and more enjoyably. That's just not, that's not the, the metaphor is a soldier and a battle. And so I want us to remember that our battles are real, but they're not the only real thing. We need to be reminded God is real. And in light of God and his victorious nature, I can see my battles differently. And I hope you can as well. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish here with a, a quote. Uh, I, I, I think I put it on the screen, or at least I mentioned it two weeks ago. But it still has me shaken a little bit. The awkward part is, I, I was going to share the quote because Steve wasn't going to be at church. Uh, so, so many of you know Steve, one of our leaders and elders here. Uh, he and his wife have been walking through a battle with leukemia. Vicky has leukemia, not Steve. But they've been walking through that battle together for years. And so he had mentioned something, and some of you missed it, uh, on a hospital visit about what they're learning through it. I want to put the quote up again because I think it's super helpful uh, to think about in light of your battle. Quote, Jose, I can't imagine going through all of this without the foundation that we have in Jesus. I think about all the Bible reading and the study. What if I didn't have them to process what we're going through? And it's made me realize that growing in a relationship with God is about more than having wisdom and insight for today. It's that even in the dry seasons, we read and study the Bible so that we're building up a foundation for us to be able to stand in the future. What you don't realize is if you don't have that foundation before you hit tragedy, you'll realize it's too late to form one. Some of you remember this quote. It's just been very meaningful to me. And that's wisdom for a medical diagnosis. Um, but it also made me think how we ought to apply this to powers and principalities and attacks and things that we can't see. If we're not proactively together looking to build the foundation of our life on Jesus and grow, grow on that foundation in Jesus, what, what happens when the powers come against us? Uh, we'll, we'll probably slide, we'll probably turn, we'll probably fall. We don't have to, but the day-to-day -day discipline of walking with God and wanting to walk with God, and then stumbling and getting up and walking with God, and navigating, and then stumbling and getting up and walking with God. That regular rhythm, it may not be that exciting, but I think we live in an, an exciting, infatuated culture. We just want to be thrilled. We want the new. We want the latest. And the challenge is that's just not life. Walking with Jesus for seasons might seem boring, but you know what? Lifting weights consistently builds muscle. Ain't that exciting at the time? I know this from experience. It's, it doesn't happen often. But the regular rhythm will transform you. And in the battle, you will live 
ready. It made me think about temptations when you think about a quote like this. What, what, What am I reading today? What am I thinking about today? What am I dwelling on? What am I meditating? What am I applying? What am I talking about today? That's going to impact my personal temptation 17 days from now. What if we looked at it with that kind of mindset? I'm storing up God's thoughts in my brain and life so that when my temptation comes, I'm ready. All right, some questions to kind of navigate where we go from here. Where is it hard for you to stand against the storm you're facing right now? Where is it hard for you to stand? Because I've been implying that we're going to stand, but some of us are feeling like, I don't know. Where are you tempted just to, to lay down and hide? How how much has the battle impacted your soul right now? Is it suffering? Is it personal temptations? What is it that's causing you to shrink back? Hear me. This is not a call to do more. That if you do more, you'll get more. Rather, it is a call to lean in on Jesus who is more. That's the armor is about being strengthened in Jesus, who is every piece of the armor and then some. He's our peace. He's our salvation. He's our righteousness. He's our truth. He's the one that can extinguish every fiery dart. He is the word of God. So, so the invitation this morning is to lean in and allow Jesus to be Jesus in your world. Will you allow him this morning? I hope you will. All right, we want to respond, okay? This should stir us. Um, let me just ask you, What's your next step? Because we're all coming at this from various places and we're at different spots. What's your next step right now? It very well could be for the majority of you, it's to receive a dose of the goodness and grace of God because life has been so hard for you right now. You just need God's goodness to overwhelm you. It's God's kindness that even leads us to repent. It's God's goodness not, it, not meanness. It's his goodness that leads us to want him more. So maybe it's just receiving. And if that's you, may you receive more of the tangible good grace of God for your life to fill you up.